0: As so I was preparing this message for this week's, Lord brought back to mind some moments in my journey where I, I really just had a, a, almost a sense of desperation to hear from God. And one of those times was when I was in seminary. Christina and I had gotten married at the end of my first year of seminary, and we were making the trek through the rest of that journey. Um, it took me four years to complete seminary. Master's degree for an MDiv is like 100 hours, so it's not like a 30-hour master's degree that I took four years to finish kind of thing. It, I'm kind of stupid, but not quite that stupid. But anyways, so, you know, right after we got married, it really, almost pretty much at the beginning of my third year of seminary, I really began asking the Lord, you know, should I stay when I finish my master's degree and go ahead and get a PhD, or should I, because if, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. 30 years later I still don't have it right <laughs> you know or is it time to go back to New England and begin serving we were going to seminary in Texas and and I can remember just praying on numerous occasions for God to give me leadership in that area you know it was a 50 mile ride from where I lived to the seminary so th- there's a lot of time to pray on those straight highways in Texas you know you just kind of get out and you can just kind of stick your knee against the wheel and you don't even have to touch the wheel for 50 miles as you head into town and and just a lot of time to talk to the Lord, and and I, I just remember asking Him over and over again, Lord, what is it that You want me to do, and when should I do it? The other time was in 1994. I was pastor in a church down in Hanover. Many of you have heard parts of this story, if not all of it, before. But had gotten there in, right after seminary in, in 1987, and been a part of a church plant. And um, the church had it, it really had done quite well. We were really enjoying our time of ministry. It moved into a building, and then. A little after, uh, uh, not quite a couple years in the building, there was an arson fire uh, that burned the facility down, and we had moved back into the f- facility earlier in 1994. and And I was just chomping at the bit about the future, you know, just, just, you know, just excited about what could happen. Now that we finally had the whole debacle of meeting in a warehouse while the house was being rebuilt, the church house was being rebuilt, and all that kind of stuff. and And I was just eager to go, and and literally on the eve of a long-term spiritual planning retreat with my deacons. That afternoon, I went up to the BCNE building building for a meeting, and the executive director asked me to consider taking a role with the staff of our denomination. And I can remember driving back to Hanover from Northboro, and, and I was confused. I, I was just twisted up inside. I, I, I didn't know what to think or whatever, and, and I spent two months. Just crying out to God for an answer. What is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? Perhaps you've had those kind of moments in your own journey. You know, over the years I've met with lots of folks who were just really looking for God's direction and they were just crying out for God to give them leadership. Should should, Should I change jobs? Some of you have been in that place. Should we move? Should we downsize? Should we upsize? You've got all those kinds of questions that emerge. Others of you have cried out for, for, for just leadership about how to deal with aging parents or with difficult children, and the list just kind of goes on and on. We, we cry out to God, and we're just eager and hungry for an answer from God, to hear from God. And our text this morning speaks about that. It doesn't tell us specifically how God talks to us. I mean, if, if, you, could, if you could say, okay, here's, here's a 10-point plan by which you're always going to hear from God. I mean, that would be a, a New York Times bestseller, right? You know, all you got to do is follow these 10 steps and you're going to have God's answer. That'd be great. But God loves to speak in lots of different ways. Here he calls out to Samuel in the middle of the night. Moses is through a burning bush. And if you look through some parts of the Bible, God even sometimes speaks through a donkey. You know, in other contexts, you might call it a jackass. I mean, God speaks in lots of different ways. And so there isn't just a, a neat, tight package, but I've got to tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in this passage for us about what does it take for us to be in a position where we can hear from God. So I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to First Samuel chapter 3 with me. Our text today, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, is on page 228, 228. 1 Samuel chapter 3. You know, we've been working through a series here in the, in the book of 1 Samuel entitled Journey to the Throne. It's the journey of the people of God to having a king, and it's the story of the journey of Saul and then David coming to the throne to be the king of Israel. And out of their experience, I believe that there are tons of, of living lessons for us about our own journey to the throne of God. And, and that's what we've been kind of doing as we move through this text together. It's always tough to step, you know, to kind of turn on a movie in the middle of it if you haven't seen it before. So if you don't know where we are in the, the history of God's activity among men, let me just give you a, a real quick kind of synopsis. You know, the book of Genesis, we, that, that's already happened. That's in the rearview mirror at this point in time. Starting with Adam, then through Noah to Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And the people of God find themselves in Egypt where they're eventually enslaved. The whole exodus has already happened. God has called Moses from the burning bush. He's gone back to Egypt. He's led the people out at God's discretion. Led them through the Red Sea. They've come up to the edge of the promised land. God changes leadership. Joshua brings the people into the promised land. The people are settling in to the land that God has given them. There's a whole era in there in which God serves as the king of the people, of the nation. And from time to time, as need arises, he raises up a judge to judge them, to give them leadership. And we hear names like Deborah and and Samson and Gideon and others. And, And then this passage, where we find ourselves today, is in the midst of the transition from that judgeship To kingship, and Samuel is that pivotal figure. He 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 not only serves as judge, but then he also serves as priest, and as we're going to see, he serves as prophet. God rolls it all up and together, and then he leads the people or grants the people their wish of a king. So that's where we are in history. Just follow along with me. I'm going to read the entire third chapter for us. Not very long, shorter than some of the other stuff we've read, and then. Make a few comments as we go, and then I'll back up and, and pull out a couple of things for us to see. Now, the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. Remember, Samuel was, a result, was born as a result of a prayer of his mother Hannah, who had been barren for a number of years. Once, when he was four years old, he was brought up and left at the tabernacle in Shiloh, which is where the people worshipped God. And he was then underneath the care of Eli, who was serving as the high priest. Now, verse 3, this might be descriptive of our own day, right? In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. Now, one day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his room. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the Ark of God was located the requirements of the law were that when sunset occurred you're supposed to light a lamp the lamp of God in the holy of Holies, in, in the tabernacle where the ark was kept and it was supposed to be kept burning all night long and then at sunup the light was extinguished. Eli's sleeping kind of in a side chamber Samuel's job is to sleep literally in the tabernacle he is physically as close to the earthly representation of God as anybody in the world. He's sleeping just a few feet, if not a few yards, from the ark. And it's early in the morning because the lamp of God has not yet gone out. So then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here am I. You called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go and lie down. I'm sure Eli, you know, if, if it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's, you know, we don't know how old Samuel is here. He's 8, 10, 12 maybe, you know. And this guy, kid comes running and starts pulling on your sleeve. What, what, what is it you want? He's like, go away, I'm sleeping. You know, and so, you know, Eli just says, go away. You know, I didn't call you. Go and lie down. Get, get lost, will you? So he went and he laid down. And once again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here am I. You called me. He says, I didn't call you, my son. Go and lie down. Now, Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord. We're all in that condition at one point in time, right? Now, Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. And he got up and he went to Eli and says, Here I am, you called me. Now, at this point in time, I'm giving Samuel credit, Right? I mean, if, if you've gotten if it's wee hours in the morning, you're still asleep, you know, and, and you've gotten up twice and run to Samuel to Eli and said, "What is it? What do you need? What? What? How can I help you?" And he says, "I don't need you." Third time around, you're saying, "I'm just turning the alarm off and going back to sleep, right?" But he, he's committed to doing his job well, which is to serve Eli. So even the third time, he gets up and he goes to Eli. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. I think the fact that it took three times is symptomatic of the fact that Eli's sense of spiritual discernment had dimmed just like his eyesight. And he told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came and he stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Now, the use of the double name there is is is. Is important. You know, we just read uh, when God called A when Abraham was standing over Isaac with a with the knife in his hand to offer him on the on the uh, as a sacrifice, God said, Abraham, Abraham. Twice he called. When Moses approached the burning bush, God said, Moses, Moses. We see in the New Testament when God approaches the apostle Paul, then Saul, on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul. Why do you just de- Persecute me. Samuel's being elevated into the company of Abraham, Moses, and Saul. Pretty cool stuff. And Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. Some of your translations say your ears will tingle and there's several places in the scriptures where it says that God's going to do such significant things that it's just going to make people's ears tingle. So it means it's a major event. So it's on that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I have told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are defiling the sanctuary, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family The iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. What what a, (laughs) if you're Samuel, God shows up and he gives you the first message to communicate and that's to look your mentor in the eye and say, you're doomed. Great job, isn't it? Anyways, we'll come back to that. So Samuel lays down until the morning. (laughs) I don't think he slept anymore. So says, Samuel lay down until the morning, and then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. He says, here am I, answered Samuel. So what was the message he gave you, Eli asked? Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do severely if you hide anything from me that he has told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. He will do what he thinks is good. That whole spirit of it, Eli there, I wish I had time for us to go into it, but, but what a tremendous spirit, even in the midst of a life that wasn't always what God wanted it to be. In verse 19, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let nothing he said prove false. All Israel, from Dan to be- Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the use of the word prophet there is significant. Um, but the idea of here from ba- Dan to Be- Beersheba, Beersheba is down in, 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 the, in the very southern end of the, of the promised land, the, the territory of Judah, I believe. Dan was originally in the middle but they had gotten squeezed by the Philistines and they had actually moved to north of the Sea of Galilee. So it's saying from the, across the entire land everyone knew that Samuel was the real deal in the eyes of God. And that when he spoke, it was because God had given him words to share. So, some good stuff. Now, always we need to make sure we're faithful to the text. So, why is this story in our Bible? Okay, now we're going to glean, I think, some great insights. At least they were meaningful insights to me about the living lessons for us. But a couple of things is God is going to use Samuel to anoint the first two kings of the nation of Israel. First, he's going to anoint Saul. Saul's going to come up lacking. God's going to have a change of direction. And then he's going to anoint David instead of Jonathan. Who might have been more qualified and had better spiritual character than David to be the next king? He's gonna choose, he's gonna anoint David to be the next king. Well, what gives Samuel the right to do that? What gives him the credibility to be a kingmaker among the people of God? Your answer? Chapter 3. He's God's prophet, he's not only the priest. He's not only the judge of his local area, but he is the prophet that speaks for the nation speaks for God to the nation and everyone knows it. So that's an important truth when you start looking at the journey because a hundred years within a hundred years at this point in time, the nation's going to split. And there's going to be all kinds of debate about whether or not David really should have been the king and somebody else and all this kind of stuff and 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 they're going to point back to chapter three and say, God did this because God called Samuel. It's a it's a powerful message. Somehow, three thousand years later, it's hard for us to to kind of grip and, and see why that's important. But it was a tremendous question to them in those days. The second is that this is, if you will, just a just a further confirmation that God had chosen to change the family line through which the high priestly role continued on. I mean. In chapter 2, we saw it last time, and you can go back and listen to the sermon online if you'd like on our webpage, but, but God had chosen, God gave confirmation through an unnamed prophet that he was going to rip the priesthood away from Eli's family and his descendants and give it to another family. And that occurs underneath the kingship of Solomon. And so this is the biblical foundation for the true place of worship, the true way to worship God. Now what about the living lessons for us. As always, uh, I I have a number of different statements. We're not going to be able to delve too strong into any of these, but but I I think in some ways, some of them just up front, they speak for themselves. And we don't need a lot of extra kind of pulling it all apart in order to be able to really get the significance for us. And now, here's the first truth I want us to see. And it flows out of a statement in verse 19. Samuel grew... And the Lord was with him, and let nothing he said prove false. And the reality for all of us, and, and I, I think this is extremely difficult sometimes for us to live with, but ultimately it is always God who gets to decide whether it's success or not. You know, Samuel, you know, God's spoken to him, but it's the fact that, that Samuel, that God backs up Samuel's word is what really gives Samuel credibility, right? It, it, you know, you always can tell a prophet by whether or not what they say actually comes to pass, right? Well, who was the one who makes it come to pass? It's it's God. Now certainly it helped that Samuel was speaking the words that God had given him to say, but the reason why Samuel had credibility, how why he had well why he had the authority among the people of God is because what he said carried the reinforcement of God. God did what he had called him to do. And listen, folks, at the end of the day, no matter how impactful our lives are, no matter how successful they are, no matter whether we, we, we look to succeed in terms of, of, of leading ministry or making lots of money or we, we try to go the whole route of austerity and et cetera, The only things that really matter and are a success are the stuff that when they're put through the fire of God, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the stuff that doesn't burn up. And what is the gold and what is the silver and what is the precious stones that the scripture talks about that survives that test, that's the stuff that God's called us to do and it's the stuff that he says is a success. All the rest of the stuff It's just hay, wood, and stubble, and it's gone. If God's not behind it, if God's not in it, if God's not for it, if God's not called you to it, no matter how great you are at it, it's not success. Success ultimately is only confirmed by God. That's why it's so important for us to get it right. So important for us to get it right. There's a second truth here. I'm not going to present this as as a hard and fast biblical truth because I I don't know if you can go that far, but I think the word of warning is powerful to us. Look at verse 14. God, God has given his message to Samuel. And in verse 14, he wraps it up this way. He says, therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Another way to put the same thing, th- there is no hope for deliverance for Eli and his sons. I don't care how many offerings they make, how many you know, atonement offerings. I it, it's, none of it's going to work because I've rejected it. It's not going to come. And, and here's the thing for us. I, I, I think we need to be careful Because repentance might not always be an option for us. I I think there are ways that we play around with the grace of God. And we say, well, I'll I'll get to that. I'll I'll get to God when I'm ready. And sometimes or another, when we get there, we just don't have the heart for it anymore. And we don't find repentance. And in the midst of that lack of repentance, we don't find forgiveness. And a powerful thing is there. I, I think there's ways in which which we we presume upon the grace of God say well I'll just do what I want for as long as I want and then I'll give God his time. And and the fact of the matter is there could when we when we think we're ready it could be that it's not in God's time anymore for us. And 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 as a part of this what we need to stop playing games with the word that God speaks into our lives. As though we can get to it on our timetable, because sometimes when you get to a place when you're really ready—I mean, Eli is incredible here. He just says, "You know what? He's the Lord. He knows what he's doing. I'm just going to take it." But his moment of opportunity for changing his past—it's a powerful word. I, I, probably one of the saddest conversations I ever had in my ministry journey. I left the church in Hanover, was serving with the denomination, and, and. And one of our core families, really a family that God had used in a, in a mighty way in helping to grow our church, um, they, were in a, and they, they were in a hard spot. And they were separated. And the gentleman, who had been one of my deacons at one point in time, uh, was, in, was having an affair. Uh, he, he had been having an affair actually for a significant period of time and, and, um, and just kind of hung on in the marriage until his daughter got married and then he kind of came out with it, and he had left, and, and um, he agreed to have breakfast with me. So I went and met him for breakfast over in Framingham, and, you know, as, as I sat there talking to this individual, you know, it was, it was such a, uh, it was heartbreaking. He, he sat across the table. He, he knew the stuff that I was going to say. He says, you know, I know what I'm doing is wrong in the eyes of God. And I'm going to do it anyways and hope I can find forgiveness for it later. And wh- one of the saddest things that I had to ever say to anybody that I had served with, I said, you know, I said, you need to be careful. Because when we, when we know that something is sinful, God's dealt with it on our hearts. He's brought conviction about it. We know it's right in the eyes of God, and we reject it anyways. Finding true repentance for those things is almost impossible. And to my knowledge, that's pretty much his experience. We need to be careful with what we do with the Word of God. We we, we could find ourselves in a moment where God says, it's too late. He's just not going to speak to us. Probably all of us could go right there and say, you know what, there was a time in my life I was convicted about this sin in my life and I just don't feel it anymore. There's a symptom. There's a symptom. Third truth, a little bit more positive. God God loves to communicate with his people. Now, the reason I I say that, and and obviously God loves to speak. The word of God is rare, right? There's no vision, but, but God loves to use his people, and in order to use his people, God has to communicate with his people. And so you see God here pursuing Samuel, not once, not twice, not three times, four times. So he finally gets through. God loves to communicate with his people. And, and we need to have confidence in it. That God loves us. Now, I think God speaks to us in, in two different ways. Now, this is really rocket science, right? He speaks to us in an audible way and in an inaudible way. All right? You know? Now, the audible is a little different. Because sometimes God does speak with, with a voice. A, a heard voice. I've not had one of those experiences. I know some people that I trust that have credible relationships with God. They've had those kinds of experiences. I've not had one of those. I've, I've not woken up in the middle of the night hurting my ceiling saying to me, kneel, kneel, you know. Uh, I've heard my, got my wife's elbow a couple times saying, kneel, kneel, can you roll over because I'm snoring kind of thing. But I've never heard God saying, kneel, kneel to me, you know. It'd be pretty cool. I, I'm not against that. But I've got to tell you, every time I pick up this book, God speaks to me in an audible way. I say, well, well, yeah, that's not the same thing. Well, I think it is. I'm thinking I, you know, I, I, when I was in college, now this was back before email. It was back before Instagram. It was back before, you know, Facebook. It was back before, you know, you had cell phones and text messages and all that kind of stuff. If you really wanted to communicate with somebody when you were away and I was up in Lewiston, Maine, you had two options. One, you could make a phone call or you could write a letter. Now, I called Christina regularly through my first two years of college, but I also wrote her letters. Now, and she still has those love letters somewhere, and hopefully our boys will never find them. (laughs) (laughs) For for more than one reason, you know, because I probably said some pretty embarrassing things in those, and that would give them fresh ammunition just to (laughs) tear down their old dad. Your kids never do that, do they? Anyway, so... You know, but I tell you, when, when Christina was reading those letters, you think she was saying to herself, well, eh, you know, that's not the same thing as a phone call. I mean, when she's reading those, it's, you know, it, it, it's literally like I'm speaking to her. That's what this is all about. Just because it's in black and white doesn't mean that God's not talking to you. God went, God, God's gone through tremendous efforts to make sure that you get a credible copy of his word that started to be written down thousands of years ago, and we still have credible possession of it today. God speaks to us through his word, and we need to be looking for it. The, the other is, is there's a way in which he just speaks inaudibly. I, I, I would connect that to the sense that I think there are times when the Holy Spirit from the inside out just confirms the voice of God to us, and both of those experiences that I started my sermon with. I can remember one day I was, I was driving back from seminary. It wasn't my turn to drive. Well, I think I was driving, and, and the other three guys in the car were all asleep. You know, on a 50-mile ride, and 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 I just, I just had this undeniable, clear impression from God, said, "When you finish your MDiv, head back to Boston." I've been praying for a year and a half, and somehow or another, in this hot Day. It must not have been raining because the windows of my car leaked. So we never took my car when it rained. So, it was, but it was my and, and, and God just spoke. It wasn't a voice that I heard, but inside I knew absolutely, positively, clearly that God had given me a word. And the same when I was at this church in Hanover. You know, it, it was probably one of the hardest messages I ever heard from God. Because though I, I was intrigued about some of the ways I get to see God work, the denominational, I I really did not want to leave the church I was in. And when God said, this is right for you, it hurt, but I was at peace because I knew that God had spoken in an audible way. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the presence of God within us so that we can hear from God. And He does direct us and give us leadership. Now, I think the real issue then is how strong is the signal that we're getting in our communication with God you know the the old commercials right with 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 Verizon where you know, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? you know kind of idea as you as you're going along it's on vibrate, don't worry. so uh, I got it turned on I, my dad's having some rough moments, so I want to make sure I get any text messages when they come in and um, but we we, we ourselves can keep ourselves in a position where we can hear from God more clearly and more fully. You notice how the text started. Verse 1, In in those days the word of the Lord was rare. The signal strength stunk. There was no network extender to push the word. In those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. Well, Well, how come? That's because the people of God their, and their worship was marked by blatant disregard for God and his will. And with that, the signal strength went right down. They, they just couldn't hear from God. You go back and you read chapters 1 and 2, what you clearly see is that at the core of the worship, the most powerful family, the family that dictated the spiritual temperature of the nation, that they, they weren't interested in the things of God. They were interested in what they could get in the name of God. And there was just blatant disregard for the desires of God. Disdain, really. And with that, the voice of God was silent. Now, you get over to Samuel, and God's speaking. Well, what's different about Samuel? Well, first of all, there's several things that you you get a strong signal from God. I think when you model what Samuel did. First of all, you notice as he gets direction from Eli, notice what he does. First of all, he invites God to speak. He invites God to speak. You know, he finally hears a Samuel, Samuel, and he says, "Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening." You know, part of the way that you and I put ourselves in a position where we can hear from God is we actually ask God to talk to us. God, I'm clearing out all the other din. I'm pushing back all the other noise. I'm pushing out even the noise of my own mind about the stuff that I want and all that kind of stuff. And God, I'm just, I'm asking you just to speak. Just, Just talk to me. Notice the position of Samuel. He says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He's got this Lord servant thing kind of lined up right, doesn't he? I got to tell you, when we're in a position where, where we're not sustaining a position of submission or servanthood to God, the signal strength goes way down. When, when we're coming to God saying, I need you to speak to me now, so show up and do it, that's not the way it works. But when we're in a position, we're saying, we know your Lord and I'm servant, and I'm submitting to you, and I'm going to be doing the things that I know that I'm supposed to be doing for you, whether I hear from you or not in your life. When you have a position of submission before God, you're just in a better cell to be able to hear from God. And then lastly, this word listen. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening This word listen actually kind of conveys the idea that when I hear from you, I'm going to follow. It's a willingness to obey. I I want to tell you, if you are looking for God to speak to you to keep you entertained, ain't going to happen. If you're looking for God to direct you on how to be faithful to his truth and the way that you live it out in your life, you, you got a good chance hearing from God. I want to touch on one more subject related to hearing from God. And, 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 and it kind of really extends out to all of the word of God that's been given to us. You know, God's message isn't always easy or fun to communicate. God's message Isn't always easy or fun to communicate. What what, what do you think was running through Samuel's head after God got done talking to him? You know, again, Samuel's maybe, you know, we we get the impression he doesn't really have any sense of independence. He's still a full-blown apprentice underneath Eli. And, you know, he's he's still just a kid. He might be 8, he might be 10, he might be 12, somewhere in there. He's just a kid. God wakes them up in the middle of the night and said, hey, I got a word for you. You know the guy that you love and has been taking care of you for the last five to ten years? I- I'm going <laughs> to. What do you think Samuel's thinking? The picture you get, he gets up in the morning, he's avoiding Eli. Eli. I'll, I'll go open up the curtains to the tabernacle. I'll go get some breakfast. He's, he, he's trying to stay away from Eli because the message that he had received isn't easy to communicate. And, and you got to give Eli credit. He makes it easy on him. He says, you know what? You may have heard something you don't want to share. I've heard that before. Boy, you, you better deliver it. And he, and he teaches, he teaches Eli Exactly what it takes to deliver the message of God. You got to do it with faithfulness, but you got to do it with compassion. You, you, you got to make sure you hold on to truth, but boy, you better be holding on to grace just as strongly. You, you, it takes courage, but boy, you ought to be marked by humility. I got to tell you that there, there's just a lot of that need in our own world today, isn't it? There are many truths, many convictions that you and I hold to. Even just a simple reality that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That's a truth that we can't give up, but it's just not easy to communicate in some places. It comes across as arrogant. It, it, can, it can come across as as, you know, you know, especially in cross-cultural stuff, and you're working with people who come from other, you know, it, it just come across as as Western arrogance. It takes faithfulness, and it takes humility, compassion, to share the word of God clearly. So here are my thoughts for you. What do you need God to say to you? What what? What aspect of your life today are you inviting God to speak into? Because the Lord is eager to speak. When was the last time you heard God speak to you? Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you are, you are the type of God who loves to reveal himself. You love to show up and you love to make yourself known. Whether it's taking a walk through the garden, whether it's meeting Moses through a burning bush, whether it's a bright light, bright blinding light, road to Damascus We're a tiny child in a mother's arms and a major in Bethlehem. God, you love to communicate. You love to reveal yourself. You love to be heard. So God, I hope this morning I can voice a prayer that applies to all of us. An echo of your word when we simply say, speak, Lord. Speak now. Speak now to us because your servants are listening.